Is there anything more miserable than lying in bed, staring into the dark, but unable to sleep? It's so frustrating when you get to that 99th sheep and you're still wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. We all know the feeling. Laying there, tossing, turning, all the while knowing you have to get up and go in the morning. Since sleep is an essential function of the body that we cannot do without, why is it so difficult? You're listening to the Healthy Looks Great on You Lifestyle Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vicki Petz Casper, and this is episode 101, Why is Sleeping So Hard? You're going to learn about sleep, why it's important, and some lifestyle modifications that will make it better. All of us have a little trouble sleeping now and then. Insomnia is common, and it's complicated. Some people fall asleep as soon as their head hits the pillow, and then boing, Both eyes pop open and they can't go back to sleep. Others have trouble falling asleep in the first place, laying there with their mind spinning like a cotton candy machine, picking up more and more junk every time it swirls around. Or maybe you're like me and you wake up at crack 030 long before the sun begins to make its appearance. Not only does sleep quantity matter, but so does quality. We spend a third of our lives sleeping, so we ought to make it good. Sleep has a huge impact on every cell in the body and overall health, and that includes optimal weight, heart disease, and many long-term illnesses. Long nights spent checking the clock every 15 minutes can make you absolutely desperate. That's why there are so many sleep aids on the market, both prescription and over-the-counter. Take a guess at how much Americans spend on sleep aids every year. If you guessed $10 million, you're way off. It's in the double-digit billions. According to Consumer Reports, Americans spend around $50 billion a year on sleep aids. The irony is that we then turn around and spend another fortune on caffeinated drinks to keep us awake during the day. Now, don't get me wrong. Caffeine is a dear friend of mine. The moment my feet hit the floor, I'm headed to the coffee pot. And I'm not a sipper. I'm a gulper. Two cups, black, every day. But sometimes that's a crazy cycle. Imagine if you could just get a good night's sleep. Wait, you don't have to just imagine it. Good sleep is possible. You'd think it would be easy, but there are so many things that can derail your sweet dreams. And the cost of sleep deprivation is really high. Not only all that money on sleep aids, but indirect costs are just as monumental. Sometimes when we don't sleep, we feel like zombies. And zombies, well, they're not very productive at work. Not only are sleepyheads less focused, they make more mistakes. They cause more accidents and they have more accidents, and that's just in the workplace. If you've ever used the rumble strips to keep your car on the road, well, that's terrifying. And did you know that drowsy drivers may cause as many car crashes as drunk drivers? Significant insomnia affects 60 million adults in the United States, and it puts your health at risk. At risk for what? Well, you name it. You may experience headaches, GI distress, as well as difficulty just making it through the day because you're sleepy. Sleep deprivation also changes the brain, which makes you more prone to anxiety. In fact, PTSD is more severe in people who are sleep deprived in the two weeks prior to the traumatic event. That's because of the amygdala. The amygdala is the part of the brain that processes fearful events. With insomnia, the ability to extinguish fear and suppress bad memories is impaired. 
Lack of proper sleep also affects your body at a cellular level, and it even causes damage to blood vessels through various mechanisms. Your lab test can reflect the harm done to your body because of chronic sleep deprivation, resulting in things like higher lipids. Metabolic syndrome is more likely if you don't sleep well, which is associated with type 2 diabetes and a higher BMI. In fact, there is a two-fold increased risk of obesity in poor sleepers. And in teenagers, poor sleep is considered a high-risk behavior. Heart attack and high blood pressure are associated with poor sleep, and there's some evidence that chronic sleep deprivation affects your risk for certain types of cancer, specifically colorectal, prostate, breast, and endometrial cancer. And night shift workers have a higher incidence of ovarian cancer. You've heard the term, somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, it's more likely that they just woke up too much. It causes irritability. Not only does it make you cranky, it actually affects your hormone levels, such as decreasing testosterone levels and growth hormone levels. And it can worsen PMS and menopausal symptoms. And the crazy thing is, menopause can cause insomnia too. Less deadly, but just as troublesome, insomnia can cause you to not be able to concentrate, remember, or think clearly. And here's a curious thing that can happen. When people don't sleep, they can get into a pattern of persistent worry about sleep. Talk about a vicious cycle. Not sleeping because you're worried about not sleeping. Here's the deal. Worry causes more harm than insomnia. And if you're already deep into this pattern, you may need some cognitive behavioral therapy to help you reset. But the first step is just recognizing that worry about sleep only compounds the problem. Here's a quick tip that may help. Quit watching the clock. You may not realize it, but it's actually normal to wake up through the night and change positions and adjust the covers. So quit looking to see what time it is. Insomnia is associated with mental health issues, especially anxiety and major depression. Gosh, it's kind of depressing just talking about it. Emotional distress, impaired moral judgment, and misinterpretation of social cues can cause a lot of problems. You know, when somebody's pushing your buttons for no reason and you realize that you're the common, grouchy, bleary-eyed denominator. Whew, if that's not enough to make you want to find some sugar plums to dance in your head, I don't know what is. Sleeping is serious business. Now, let me ask you a question. How long do you typically sleep? The amount of sleep needed depends on your age, and it's funny, people say, I slept like a baby. Well, anyone with a baby knows they wake up often during the night, cry, and need to be fed. So it's probably not a great comparison. The average adult needs about eight hours of sleep a night with a range between seven and nine. Most people miss that mark. In fact, the average adult sleeps a little under seven hours, but 20% of people sleep less than six hours a night. Why don't you sleep well? Well, maybe it's a bad attitude. As a society, we used to think of it as a sign of being tough. In fact, one time I put on my Facebook status, sleep is for wimps. Good grief. Boy, was I wrong. Sleep is underrated. And I've made a 180 degree turn in my attitude towards sleep. And culture has too. Now we value sleep because we know it increases performance and affects health in a positive way. Some of the attitudes we've had towards sleep are just plain weird. As kids, I remember hearing about the Sandman. Though I didn't really understand what it meant. It turns out that the Sandman is rooted in Scandinavian folklore. He comes and sprinkles magic sand into the eyes of children at night to make them sleep and dream. Supposedly, that's why you wake up with grit in your eyes. But that doesn't sound very pleasant or reassuring. 
Another reason people can't sleep is that 20% of people are shift workers. Lionel Richie, Kenny Chesney, and George Strait all sing about working the night shift. I probably shouldn't quit my day job to sing. But speaking of jobs, the summer after I graduated from high school, I got a job working at a hospital as a nurse's aide. And I ended up working the 3 to 11 shift, and it was absolutely miserable. By the time I got up and got around for the day, it was time to go to work. And when I got off, it was time to go to bed. I hated it. And my dad told me to be sure and go to college so I didn't have to work nights, weekends, and holidays. So I did. I went to school. And I went to school forever. Four years of college, four years of med school, and four years of an OBGYN residency. And I remember one Christmas, and it was on the weekend, that I was at the hospital in the middle of the night. And I thought about what my dad said and thought, wait a minute, I think I missed something. I went to school a really long time, and here I am, working a holiday on the weekend and at night. During my 20-year career as an obstetrician, I had my share of sleepless nights, and the older I got, the harder it got to recover. It really took a toll on my body. People who don't get enough sleep are at risk for long-term disability. At the age of 50, I developed an autoimmune disease called myasthenia gravis, and for about a year I could barely walk or use my arms or chew my food. I've mostly been in remission for two years now, except for frequent double vision. And I'm not saying my occupation caused it, but chronic sleep deprivation does have a huge impact on health. Good sleep is super important, but it's also complicated. So let's review a little science. This is the mini medical school part of the podcast, but please don't lay awake worrying about it. There's no exam to pass. And after class, I'm going to give you some lifestyle modification tips that may help your sleep. I'm sure you've heard of the circadian rhythm. Circa means about. Think circle. Dia means day. Think of it as your body's internal clock. The cells in our body produce alternating currents to create the circadian rhythm through positive and negative feedback loops. Another term I want to introduce you to is entrainment. By the way, that's not entertainment, it's entrainment. This is our ability to synchronize our internal clock based on external input from the environment. This makes your body's physical functions line up with your daily routines to coincide with day and night. You've probably heard the term synchronize your watches to refer to everyone getting on the exact same time schedule. Well, throughout the body, every major organ coordinates to synchronize with the central clock. And unlike the crocodile and Peter Pan, we don't have to swallow a clock to have an internal one. Our wake-sleep cycle is entrained by the day-night cycle. External input comes into the suprachiasmic nucleus. Now, that's a 50-cent word, but the suprachiasmic nucleus is located in the center of your head in a part of the brain known as the hypothalamus. There are a couple of important glands there, the pituitary, which secretes a ton of hormones, and the pineal gland. Guess what the pineal gland secretes? Okay, I didn't really expect you to know, but it's melatonin. You've probably at least heard of that. It's the sleep hormone. Okay, now you know about entrainment, the circadian rhythm, and melatonin. Let me explain how it all works. And magic sand from the Sandman has nothing to do with it. Geez, now that I think about it, there are a lot of creepy stories about the effects of day and night. Like men turning into werewolves at night and vampires weakened by sunlight. And even though it's weird, it underscores the importance of light for us humans so that we're not living like the walking dead. And it all starts with the eye. A light signal comes in through the retina, then travels along the nerve to the suprachiasmic nucleus, which is the body's main clock. 
Think of this like an old-timey operator receiving a call from the eye and plugging it in to send the signal on to the next party. It's the central controller for our circadian rhythm. From the suprachiasmic nucleus, the next stop along the neuronal pathway is the pineal gland, which secretes that sleep hormone melatonin. Then the signal is sent out to nerves that go to the adrenal glands and other important organs that cycle like the kidney, the liver, the heart, and the pancreas. The adrenal glands are super important because they secrete a lot of chemicals that help regulate blood flow, temperature, and food intake. One of them you've probably heard of, that's cortisol. It's a big deal when it comes to sleeping and waking up. Wow, who knew there was so much to just falling and staying asleep? Now remember, our internal rhythm is controlled by signals from within our body and stimuli from the outside environment. All of it affects the timing of melatonin secretion and therefore affects sleep and secretion of other hormones and that has all kinds of effects on our body. Now we really wanna break down these external factors because these are the things that you can change and you can control and I'm gonna give you some tips about that later. But they are light, food, fluid balance, exercise, and temperature. If you have insomnia, those are the things you've really got to pay attention to. And the cool thing is, they're all really interconnected. And even if you aren't a vampire, light affects sleep. Things like how long you're exposed to light as well as what kind of light, sunlight on a clear day or through the clouds, indoor lighting, moonlight, all of it starts the ball rolling when it gets through the retina and sends that first signal to the suprachiasmic nucleus. Your future may be so bright you got to wear shades, but even sunglasses can affect the amount of light that gets to your brain. And what about backlighting from devices like your computer, TV, or cell phone? Well, that's called blue light. It's in a specific range on the spectrum of light, and blue light at night makes all of this not go right. Blue light sends the whole cascade in the wrong direction because it increases nighttime heart rate, blood pressure, and core body temperature and that decreases sleepiness because it suppresses melatonin. Light in the retina affects two main proteins that control the cycle of your internal clock. And you don't really need to know this, but they're called CRY and PRE, and they work in opposite directions, cycling back and forth. But guess how long it takes to complete one cycle? If you said 24 hours, you're exactly right. Now that we know how important light is, let's look at food. This part is really amazing to me. Those same two cycling proteins are also affected by food, especially carbohydrates. We are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, earlier I mentioned cortisol, which is secreted by the adrenal glands. Well, cortisol levels spike when we wake up and that creates food anticipation, making you wanna eat breakfast. Literally, break fast. It's also why pharmacologic steroids, which resemble cortisol, make you hungry. Think prednisone. It's a wicked evil drug that really works, and I've had to take huge doses. It's not fun, but that's a story for another time. Cortisol isn't bad, though. It's necessary for health, and think about it. Waking up in the morning, that's a good thing, and that's associated with high levels of cortisol. Now, if you don't eat soon after you wake up, it may blunt the important cortisol spike. So modifying the timing and content of breakfast can help treat certain sleep troubles. For example, if you want to wake up earlier in the morning, then don't skip breakfast. See, your mom was right all along. Eat a carbohydrate-rich breakfast shortly after awakening to improve the sleep-wakefulness transition. Think whole grains, not honey buns, biscuits, or Pop-Tarts. And eating dinner too high in carbs or too early can make you fall asleep on the couch in the evening. 
See, timing and content of meals can be modified to improve sleep patterns. And this gets really complicated and there are specific recommendations for specific issues. So you may need an individualized plan. But the bottom line is that when you eat carbs the right way, it actually helps you keep awake when you're supposed to be awake and stay asleep when you're supposed to be asleep. Goodness, there are so many things that can derail our Z's. Now that you know how important light and food are, let's look at exercise. Daily exercise is helpful to promote circadian regulation and improve the quality of sleep. And when it comes to exercise, just like food and light, timing is everything. To improve sleep, most people need to increase daytime physical activity. Morning and afternoon exercise generally promote healthy sleep, but evening exercise can delay the onset of good sleep because of the effects on body temperature and energy depletion at the cellular level. Exercise is like anything else. You need enough and not too much. At a minimum, get up and move at least once an hour during the day. But if you overdo it and have pain at night, you're not going to get a good night's rest. The prescription for the frequency, intensity, type, time, volume, and progression must be individualized. But as a general rule, increase physical activity in the morning or in the late afternoon, early evening, and preferably outdoors so you get that all-important sunlight too. One reason exercise matters is because it affects the other two external factors, and that's fluid and temperature. These interconnections are fascinating, aren't they? Let's talk about temperature. Our body temperature is controlled by three main things. Your core temperature, which controls itself, that's called auto-regulation, blood flow to the extremities, and how hot or cold it is in the room, which is called the ambient temperature. The regulation of our body temperature is also affected by how much insulation we're wrapped in. Too much or too little fat stores under the skin can make us feel warm or chilly. And things like menopause can be a factor here too, a big one. As we're falling asleep, our extremities get warmer and our core temperature gets cooler. The reverse happens when we wake up and our core heats up and our extremities cool off. That's why it may help to take a warm bath to warm up those extremities or put on warm socks for your cold feet. And for most people, the ambient temperature, that is the temperature in the room, needs to be on the cooler side. When it comes to sleep, think about a cave. Quiet, dark, and cool. It is amazing how our bodies work. Everything's interdependent, including fluid status and body temperature. The amount of fluid in our blood vessels affects temperature and it all needs to be in balance to get a good night's sleep. Drinking water will help keep you hydrated and that helps sleep. Unless of course you drink too much in the evening and then your bladder will make you get up. This balance is delicate. When our blood vessels are open wider, our blood pressure is lower. Things like sodium cause our blood vessels to tighten and get more narrow, thus increasing blood pressure. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about sleep, not blood pressure. Well, one of the things that can help you get a good night's sleep is reduction of salt intake. I am so bad to sometimes eat a high sodium meal at night and it always makes me restless, especially if it's chips or something with soy sauce in it. What happens is sodium affects blood osmolality, which is a measure of particles in the liquid part of our blood. This is important because it affects blood flow to the skin, which in turn affects the heart and blood vessels. Okay, now that we've reviewed all this physiology, let's put it together. Darkness triggers the pineal gland to secrete the sleep hormone melatonin. That causes the blood vessels in the extremities to open up more, making them warmer. Extremities get warmer, core gets cooler, and off to sleep you go. Unless there's a glitch somewhere. A good night's sleep helps lower cortisol and glucose levels 
and increase insulin sensitivity. Also, there's something called leptin, and those levels are increased during the day, and that helps control appetite. Because the tone in blood vessels is lowered, so is the blood pressure, which means better blood flow to the extremities and optimal warming of them and cooling of the core. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Restorative sleep increases stamina and helps you recover from strenuous activity better, therefore improving athletic performance. And good REM sleep makes your memory better. It also enhances learning because you can process information better and faster. Now, as you go to sleep, melatonin levels keep rising, further increasing the skin temperature of your extremities and cooling your body core temperature. It reaches its low about two to three hours before you wake up. Next, melatonin levels start to decrease. The skin temperature in your extremities decreases and your core temperature increases. That's when REM sleep lengthens. And that's why you have the most vivid dreams right before you wake up. And it's what helps you deal with your fears and emotions. And it explains why we're so very cranky when we haven't slept well. So that's the sweet spot. On an EEG, it's called slow wave sleep. And it restores not only your mind and brain, but there is a restorative process that occurs throughout the body. Now, you're laying there all gorgeous like Sleeping Beauty with decreased blood pressure and this decreased demand on your body, and that allows your cells to start repairing and restoring. It's a constant DNA process, and if it's disrupted, it causes harm. It affects all those hormones that control appetite and regulate insulin. Then blood pressure starts to increase, and boom, we wake up. Cortisol spikes, we're ready for that hearty breakfast. When it works like it's supposed to, you're mentally alert, calm, and full of energy. This is the goal, to get this restorative sleep. Now that you understand a little bit about sleep and why it's important and why poor sleep is detrimental to your health, let's talk about some changes that you might be able to make to get a good night's sleep and experience all these benefits and mitigate the consequences of insomnia. I'll give you some general lifestyle medicine recommendations, but if you'd like some help making changes, join my newsletter. There's a course called 7-Day Prescription for Change. I'll put a link in the show notes. There'll be more podcasts about insomnia. This one's really just about sleep, but you need to understand that first. Establishing a good sleep cycle starts in the morning when you wake up. Start by waking up at the same time every day. And most people should eat a higher carbohydrate breakfast when they wake up. Get outside and soak up some sunshine, especially in the morning and afternoon. Get active and go do something. Time in nature will help you manage stress. And it's okay to drink coffee or tea, but limit the amount and cut it off after morning for best sleep. Stay hydrated throughout the day, especially in the late afternoon. But in the evening, don't drink anything that will make you have to get up and empty your bladder, like too much water, soda, or alcohol. Eat a low-carb dinner and cut down on sodium. The whole day is important, but the three hours right before bedtime are really critical. Don't use alcohol or blue light during that window of time. And cut out after-dinner snacking, too. About an hour and a half before bedtime, avoid any stimulating work or activities. Develop a wind-down routine and relax. Learn to manage stress. You are not in control of the world, so let all those worries and cares go. Intentionally slow down your mind, body, and environment. Read. Listen to soothing music or talk to your spouse or a friend. Pull the blinds and darken the room. If you tend to ruminate and worry when you lay down, then get a journal and put all of those thoughts out of your head and onto paper. I always say a journal is a cheap psychiatrist. Take a warm bath or shower and fix yourself a cup of hot herbal tea. 
warm up your feet with socks or even a heating pad. And get the alarm clock out of sight. Seriously, put it up and put your phone on Do Not Disturb. Clock watching only perpetuates worrying about not sleeping. Go to bed at the same time every night, not just weekdays, but weekends too. Make sure the bedroom is quiet and dark. If there are any glowing things, make sure they're red. Now I'm talking about chargers and devices, not werewolves. Oh, I'm getting sleepy just thinking about it. I think the Sandman is on his way now. Sweet dreams. Try and see if you don't feel better and think sharper all day. And if these simple interventions don't work for you, you may need a more customized lifestyle plan. The first step to evaluate your sleep is with a validated tool called a sleep inventory. And for those with severe problems, cognitive behavioral therapy may be needed. Those medications are only designed for short-term use, and some of them don't even work. We'll talk about those in a later episode, but remember, keep it dark and quiet. Make sure you have a regular routine. Pay attention to light exposure and timing and sleep tight because healthy looks great on you. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not considered to be a substitute for medical advice. You should continue to follow up with your physician or healthcare provider and take medications as prescribed. Though the information in this podcast is evidence-based, new research may develop and recommendations may change.